You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel 20. King Saul is feeling very threatened by David. He's been told that he would be removed as king and that another would take his place. It's obvious to him at this point that that person will be David. And so now, instead of surrendering, as we sang a lot about tonight, to the Lord, to his will, to his, even to his discipline, he is fighting against that. He's holding on and not letting go, thinking that somehow it's his position that brings him joy and satisfaction in life. And he's being prideful. And so now he wants to kill David. But he's waffling back and forth. Remember in the last chapter that he went out to, he sent messengers to go arrest David and they came uh, to the prophets at Naoth and they began to prophesy with the prophets. And he did this three times until he, and finally he went himself and he began to prophesy with the prophets. Now something that's notable in that incident is that it appears that Jonathan didn't know that Saul was sending messengers out to arrest David. And before, Jonathan was always Saul's confidant, his son. He would tell him everything. And he even told him, Jonathan, we're going to kill David. And so then David, as a good friend, went and warned David and even helped him through it and talked to his dad about it. So it pretty much revealed to his dad that, you know, Jonathan isn't someone that he can confide in when it comes to killing David. And so Jonathan was, was not a part, not privy to what happened in the last chapter. And so that brings us to 1 Samuel 20, verse 1. It says, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So Jonathan is in denial at this point. He doesn't know about what has just happened with the attempted arrest of David. He thinks the last thing that happened is he convinced his dad of the right thing to do Dad listened, and we're all good. But something that Jonathan perhaps isn't aware of is that the flesh is worse than we think. People are capable of much worse than we think. Our own selves, but just people in general. I think in the last century, we really reached a low point with Hitler and the Nazis and World War II and, and even, uh, you know, Russia. and the, 20 million people were murdered under Joseph Stalin. 20 million people. Of course, under Hitler, 6 million Jews and countless others in World War II. And when you read about the atrocities that were committed there, 
it's just absolutely astonishing how low man can go. And uh, so Jonathan is thinking the best of his dad, which is good. The Bible says that love hopes all things, love believes all things. And so he's just not believing that his dad could, could continue to be like this. It's especially difficult when it comes to our parents, right? When we're little kids, you know, and there's exceptions to this because some of us have had parents that were absolutely horrible from the beginning. Uh, And others we had, you know, and it's just the whole gamut, right, of parents and how they treated us and things like that. But as kids, we're emulating our parents. We're looking up to them. And, you know, daddy's the hero so much of the time. And, and then as we get older and we look at that parent and we see flaws in them or we learn some things about their past that weren't so great, then that can be a struggle for us. It can be very disillusioning. But the freeing part is when we read the scriptures and find that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we cannot put our trust in man. We cannot take a person and put them high up on a pedestal because we will be disappointed every single time. Every single time. But instead we understand as I've mentioned, that all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Jeremiah 17, 9, popular scriptures here that we're going to go over. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So this is the human heart, particularly the unregenerate heart, the sin nature of man. Human nature is what we call it. And it's deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. Psalms 14.3, it says, They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good master. And he said, Why do you call me good? None is good but God. And then he just said, what, what can I do for you after that? It's an interesting comment, though, that Jesus makes. None is good. Why do you call me good? None is good but God. He was either saying, don't call me good because I'm a sinner. But we know that's not true. Or he was saying, I'm God. You're right, I'm good. And guess what? There's only one good, and that's God. I'm God. That was one of those moments where Jesus was claiming to be God. But what does that say about the rest of us? None is good but God. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Jesus just flat out called all of us evil. And he's right, as we've read here in Jeremiah 17 and Psalms 14. And what does that tell us? It it tells us that we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. 
The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is him? It's Jesus. This is a prophetic word 500 years before Jesus, speaking of how God would lay on Jesus, his only son, the iniquity of us all. And so are we to be self-loathing? No. Not once we have received Christ as our Savior. We invite him into our hearts and our lives, and we are changed, made new. And we rejoice in our salvation. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, God will convict us of sin in our lives. And that's why we're told in the book of James that we're to be remorseful and, and even to weep because of our sin. But then there's joy in the morning. It doesn't last, the Bible teaches us. We're not to stay in this place of, you know, just I'm a, I'm a wretched sinner. But we come out of it going, I have Jesus Christ living inside of me. And I have the Holy Spirit and I have forgiveness of sins and I have eternal life. I'm part of his family and we rejoice in that in faith. And it's when we have a lapse in faith that we begin to condemn ourselves once again. Or if we have unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin in our lives. And we got to come back to Jesus, recommit our lives to the Lord, and say, God, forgive me, I repent. And the joy in faith comes back. Hallelujah. And so Jonathan here is surprised, and he's going to be surprised as he finds out that his dad isn't as great as he thought his dad might have been. And so let's not be surprised by the sins of others, even those close to you. And it seems like the older the, we get, the less surprised we are when we hear of something that happens or someone that did something. It's like, well, yeah, they've got sin nature. <laughs> I'm not totally shocked. But let's walk in grace and let's walk in forgiveness and in love. Amen? Verse 3. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David is in a desperate situation. Jonathan is, is denying it in this moment. But David is trying to convince him, look, your dad's hiding this from you, and there is just a step between me and death. Now, that's a scary place to be, <laughs> to be a step from you and death. But 
in reality, all of us are in that place. (laughs) We're all a step from death, death of this physical body that we live in, this earthly body. Why are we a step from death? Well, one, we have an enemy that we've been mentioning week after week here, and he's the devil, and he's very powerful, and as he said about Peter, Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. First Peter 5.8, we're going to quote it again, be sober, be sober, be alert, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Friends, it's only by the grace and the mercy of God holding the devil back, giving him boundaries and limits that you and I are still walking the face of the earth (laughs) because that devil, he could get us real good if he was not restrained by God. Not only that, we've got enough danger in this world, don't we, without the devil. We've got these multi-ton vehicles driving around feet from us as we're walking down, you know, across crosswalks and things like that. And many of us are coming to the age where we've just got things happening with our body that it's a constant reminder that life is short. James chapter 4 verse 13 says, come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We talked about this on Wednesday night for uh, those of you that were at the well on Wednesday. And there's a a very humbling aspect to realizing how frail our lives are and the brevity of our lives, that they're short. Here today, gone tomorrow, just like a a vapor that appears and and can easily be wafted away and then it's just gone. It's gone. But praise God that we do not mourn like others do. We don't get depressed about that like other people do as believers. We should not, friends. But in faith, we should look past this life to eternity and have great joy, great joy. I love the story my dad tells of one sister in our congregation who was driving in the passenger seat and they were heading down the road and and her her elderly sister was, was driving the car and then she looked, the driver looked over and her sister just went, ah, and then boom, that was it, gone. She went home to be with Jesus, went home to be with the Lord. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. It's a homecoming as they come home and they enter into heaven. We need to be reminded of this again and again and again. As, as we feel, you know, the fear creeping in, you know, that the fear of the unknown, it's interesting because Marty White, I, I had such a neat time with um, her daughter and her granddaughter as we were talking about, you know, the memorial service plans and things like that. 
And uh, the Lord told her that it was her day. And she told her son-in-law, she said, can you hold my hand? And she said, today's the day. And she's like, I I don't want to go. I don't want to leave my family. And the son-in-law got to encourage her and say, we're okay. We're going to be okay. You can go home and be with the Lord. And she was encouraged by that conversation. And sure enough, that day, she just took a breath. And then she was with the Lord. I just got chills. The Bible teaches us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the last breath we take here on earth will be our first breath in heaven. Praise Jesus. And that's what we have to look forward to, friends. And so this is why we can have joy in the midst of a dark world. We can have joy even as it becomes more and more of a struggle to get out of bed in the morning, or maybe we can't get out of bed in the morning. And it, yes, it, it gets us down, you know, and, and we say things, getting old stinks. <laughs> yeah, it does. But getting young again is going to be awesome. <laughs> Amen? So we can be encouraged by that. And it is humbling to be reminded that there is but a step between me and death. And so David, God is working with David to help him to function with this frame of mind, with this reality, because this is not going to end anytime soon for David. He's going to spend years now as an outlaw, sorry, spoiler alert, and he's going to be on the edge of death for a while. But we read in the Psalms the peace that God brings him as he goes to worship and as he goes to prayer He talks of of God laying him down and giving him a good night's sleep, even though he knows the army's on the other side of the hill (laughs) and can get him. Man, that's the kind of peace that we want to walk in, friends. Just a confidence and a faith in the Lord, in our Lord, and what he's done for us. And that nothing will happen to us until it's time. Remember Jesus? Man, they tried to kill Jesus on a couple different occasions. They even mobbed him one time, and it just says he slipped away because it wasn't his time. But when it was time, it was time. And that's how it is for us, too. Yes, you should eat healthy. You should be careful. You shouldn't test the Lord in this, because who knows? He might say, well, it's your time because you made a dumb choice. (laughs) but he knows in advance. And so when it's your time, it's your time. And it was Marty's time, and it was Linda's time, and they're with the Lord now. And our time will come too, whether it be the rapture. Have you ever thought about what's gonna happen to your earthly physical body at the time of the rapture? The Bible says we're gonna be changed in the twinkling of an eye, right, very quickly. So this body's gonna be changed. What's he gonna do with it? I don't know, I always thought, I wonder if I'm indoors during the rapture, if my body will hit the ceiling. (laughs) And then then I'll just keep going into my new body, you know? Whatever it is, it's going to be good, friends. But that's kind of the point with no matter how we go, whatever it is in that moment, there will be suffering leading up. But in the moment, God will bring peace, and it will be a precious moment for us. And so we can grab hold of that in faith. All right, let's move on. We're in verse 4 now. 
It says, so Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So he's, he's, he's confirming to David his loyalty and his willingness to help him. Verse five, and David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So David here is reminding Jonathan of the covenant that they have with one another. They made some promises that they've got each other's back and each other's family, their households throughout time. And so he's reminding him of that, but he's also revealing in this last line here when he says, nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? Let's not waste time, Jonathan. If you're in on this, if, if you're going to take me, you're, uh, you're going to betray me and bring me to your father, let's just get this over with. Just kill me now. If there's iniquity in me, do it. But that's not what Jonathan's intention was. Because remember, we just read about how deceitful the heart is and how wicked, so it's really hard to trust each other, you know? <laughs> um, and here, though, David knows, you know, Jonathan is the next in line for the throne. In his flesh, he would feel threatened and challenged by David, but he's not operating in the flesh. He's operating in the spirit, and so that's a good thing. Notice how David is willing to own any sin that might be in him and receive whatever the consequence would be. Verse 9, but Jonathan said, far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? So again, he's assuring him, no, David, I, I don't know anything about this, and I'm here for you, man. Verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? So he's just, David's just thinking about, through the logistics of this, okay, how are you going to inform me? I'm out hiding in the field, how are you going to let me know, you know, without getting caught, things like that. And then verse 11, and Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out or assessed my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. For if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now this is neat how Jonathan is just encouraging David and saying, look, if my father wishes ill towards you, I am going to tell you and you will have to go away because you can't stay here you can't go home to your family. That would 
that would not only put you in danger, but your whole family in danger. You're going to have to be an outlaw if that's the case and run for your life and flee. But he's not worried about it because he says, the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. He's saying, David, I see the hand of God in your life. I see that God's with you and God loves you and so I can let you go and God will take care of you. Sometimes we have to let people go, friends. Whether it be our children, it's time for them to move out of the house and be on their own. And yes, we have all kinds of worries and concerns. We just trust the Lord with the lives of our kids, our grandkids. Sometimes you're an employer and you know you have to let an employee go or something and you have to trust the Lord for that person and for their circumstance and just go, God, I just, I know you love them. And if they're, call, if they're a Christian, they're called according to the purposes of God, God's going to take care of them. And so you can let them go. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.